Okay, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as a pastor, along with Eric and Heather, my wife Ebony, she's in kids. Uh, stoked to be here this morning. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last four or five weeks now. This is the fifth week. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been going through our values. We've called this, this series, it's called We Are Restored. And the whole point of this series is to clarify and remind for us like what we're all about as a church who we are, how we operate. Um, We took the church through a series called What is the Church? Where we literally were like, okay, what are we going to be? If we're going to plant a church, what does that mean? What is a church even, what is it? Um, That was helpful. If that's the what is the church, this is the like who we are, what we're all about. Why are we doing what we're doing? What values do we have? Okay, so we've been going through our five values. Um, They are this. They are gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Um, They are family. We believe that the church is not an event, it's not a building, it's not something you attend, it's the people of God who relate to God as Father and each other as brothers and sisters. Um, And the third week, we talked about dependence, this idea of depending on the Holy Spirit. We're not self-reliant people, independent people. No, we we, we depend on the Spirit of God. And lastly, we talked about our fourth value, and that is mission. Today... Uh, We're going to talk about our fifth one. We're going to wrap things up. Um, Today we're going to talk about the idea of multiplication. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that. Flip over probably to the first page of your Bible, right after you get through like the table of contents. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 today. Should be easy for most of us to find. Um, While you're flipping there, has anybody ever played the game, uh, Would You Rather? Okay, lighten, like get get some life this morning, guys. Okay, yeah, so you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the game, Would You Rather? It's basically like you give someone two options and you talk about it. It can be fun. It can be weird. This idea of would you rather do this or would you rather do this? Would you rather have this or would you rather have this? Um, So we're going to have a little bit of fun here. Um, Would you rather be without elbows or without knees? Think about it. Okay, who would rather be without elbows? Okay, who would rather be without knees? Ooh, wow, okay, interesting. Okay, here's one for you. Would you rather give up hot water or cold water? And, and it, it can't be cooled off. So it's like, it's, it's, it's eternally one temperature, okay? Consider this. Would you rather give up hot water? That means, that means no hot showers. Or your preferred, your, your desired temperature, how you want to define hot. So you can't have any water that's hot or you can't have any water that's cold. So your drinking water is going to be like soup. Okay, who would rather give up hot water? Wow, yeah, okay. Who would rather give up cold water? Interesting. This is, you guys you can tell a lot about a person by what they'd rather give up. Okay, how about a fun one that's like not like you have to give something up? Okay, would you rather have free Food for life at In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A? I spent a lot of time prepping this message, guys, okay? Consider it for a moment. Okay, here we go. It's voting time. Okay, would you rather have free food for life at In-N-Out? And Chick-fil-A? Okay, hold on. That was way more passionate about you guys giving an answer. Okay, uh, this next one is going to be interesting. Okay, would you rather receive $10,000 a day every day for a month or a penny that doubles each day every day for a month? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, we're going we're gonna, to, need, I need two volunteers and I didn't tell them, but I want Aaron and Kaylin to come up. Come here. You don't have to do anything besides stand here. Uh, guys, give it up for Aaron and Kaylin. <clears throat> Okay, so Kaylin, I want you on this side. Aaron, you're going to stand here, and you're just going to look at them and feel, you don't have to feel awkward. You're not going to do anything weird. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Just to kind of, I'm a visual learner, okay? So Aaron is going to be the person who decided to have $10,000 a day each day for a month, okay? And Kaylin is going to be the person that decided, I want a penny that's doubled each day, every day for a month, okay? And I'm just going to roll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like, uh, run you through what this would look like, okay? So on day one, no. <clears throat> Aaron is dad, by the way, just so you guys know. Okay, uh, so Aaron, day one, has $10,000. That's awesome. Kaylin on day one, 
has a penny. Okay? Day two, he has $20,000. She has two pennies. Okay, let's fast forward to the end of week one. So day seven, $70,000. Caitlin has 64 cents. Sorry, Caitlin. Okay? Day 10, you already know where I'm going with this probably, but day 10, $100,000 for Aaron, $5.12 for Caitlin. Sorry, Caitlin. Okay, at the end of two weeks, so day 14, $140,000 for Aaron. Caitlin, two weeks in, $81.92. It's getting bleak here, girl. But let's fast forward to day 21. Okay, so three weeks in, Aaron has a whopping $210,000. Caitlin, that's three weeks in, okay? And then day 26, Kaylin passes Pop up because Pop has $260,000 on day 26 and Kaylin has $335,000, That's day 26. Day 30, okay, end of the month, $300,000, that's a lot of money. $300,000 for Aaron. No one loses here, okay? (laughs) Yeah, $300,000 for Aaron. Guess what Kaylin has? This is awesome. $5,368,709.12. Yeah, still in the family. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) It totally is. So, Let's just for fun, let's say it was December, it's 31 days in the month. December has 31 days, I think, right? So uh, 30, day 31, 310,000, 10, basically $10.7 million. Okay. Thank you guys for being my helper. Go ahead and sit down. Uh, your checks are ready for you in the back. Go ahead and Andy's going to cut you a check. <clears throat> okay, so I know it's a silly game of would you rather, but like it shows us the difference between addition that's Aaron, and multiplication. It's Kaylin, okay? Today we're going to talk about why multiplication is something that we value so much as a church. Okay, so hopefully you are flipped to Genesis chapter 1. Before I jump into the scriptures, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Uh, join me in prayer, guys. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, uh, I just feel led to pray uh, Spirit, just help me not to perform, but actually to like preach, um, to love and honor these people. They really are so precious to me and to you, more so to you. Father, you really are so good to us. Um, my desire is that you would, that your will would be done and, um, and we would all just kind of, um, we'd actually be able to enjoy you. We'd be able to enjoy you, to be challenged by you, to be stretched by you, um, to be encouraged by you, Holy Spirit. Um, and I actually do pray that you would inspire us this morning, God. Inspire us in some profound ways. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you love us and the cross is proof. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Okay? So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Okay. Um, So this morning, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about three things. 
Okay, you can write these down. First thing is we're going to talk about the concept of multiplication. We're going to talk about the spiritual implications of multiplication. And then we're going to talk about what that means for us as restored church. If, if, if multiplication is a value, what does this mean for us? Okay, so the concept of multiplication, the spiritual implications of multiplication, and what it means for us. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, can anybody tell me what the first command that God gives people in Scripture is? Yeah, you just read it, absolutely. In verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, it's the very first command. That means it's really important. Okay, God's a God of order. The very first thing, <clears throat> be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so you have Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, right? Um, things are perfect. I know most of you know this story, but I want you to track with me and just kind of try to visualize it. Imagine it in your brain. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, Adam and Eve, they're in this, this garden. There's no sin. There's no death. There's, they're in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with each other. Like zero conflict, zero division, unity, peace, security, no insecurity, no fear. It doesn't exist. That sounds fantastic, okay? And they're naked, okay? And there's no shame. So you have husband and wife. They're in this perfect environment, perfectly relating to each other and God. And then God tells them, be fruitful and multiply, okay? When we talk about this idea of multiplying, what we're talking about is we're talking about reproducing, okay? We're talking about reproduction. So God tells Adam and Eve, he says, reproduce. But here's the thing. Before they do, something terrible happens. Okay, you guys, you guys know this. Something terrible happens. Satan comes along, right, and, and the serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve. He tempts them, and they sin. They give in to the temptation. They sin. They reject God, and they reject God's ways, okay? And as a result, death and sin are introduced into all creation, into the world, okay? So now, track with me for a second. So now when Adam and Eve, when they reproduce, <clears throat> they're reproducing sons and daughters that someday will ultimately die because death has now been introduced to the fabric of creation. So do you see how it affects their reproduction, okay? Everything they reproduce is going to ultimately die. So think about this for a second. Think about how this affects their ability to obey the very first command in Scripture. Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, we read it a little bit ago. Like we talked about the seeds. You know, you give every fruit has seeds and it multiplies that way. God gives it. It's in the fabric of creation. But think about how the, the seed of man and women, think about how that gets affected. Now that sin is introduced and what they reproduce, what they multiply is filled with sin. <clears throat> it's interesting. It's like, it's like they reproduce and every child that they reproduce kind of carries that sin gene with them, right? All the way down to me and you. What I want you to see here is that from the very beginning, <clears throat> there's been an enemy and he's been set on destroying God's people from the very beginning, okay? Now think about it. If you want to kill something off, all you have to do is just keep it from reproducing. Um, we talked about uh, Jack earlier. Um, they haven't got definitive uh, results back about it, but there's a really high chance that Jack has cancer in his kidneys, like a really high chance, okay? Uh, cancer, I hate cancer. I think everyone of, us, everyone of us in the room would unanimously say we hate cancer. Um, we've all been negatively affected by it in some way. Um, but here's the thing with cancer, right? <clears throat> Every single one of us has cancer cells in our body right now. Every single one of us. And here's the thing. Like, uh, uh, our, 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 our immune system, what it does is it fights off the cancer cells and keeps them from reproducing. Okay, we have the health issues when those cancer cells reproduce at a rate that our body can't fight off. And it reproduces and reproduces and reproduces. Okay, if you want to kill off cancer, <clears throat> just keep the cancer cells from reproducing. You follow me with this logic? This idea of if you want to kill something off, you just keep it from reproducing. Um, I read this study recently that was kind of alarming, um, and it had to do with the fertility of men. What I mean by that is like, uh, let me look at my numbers here. Um, the sperm count in men, in Western men, is like drastically decreasing. I'm going to read you a quote from this article. Okay, like scientists and researchers are kind of scrambling trying to figure this out. 
But this is the quote. It says, sperm counts in men from America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand have dropped by more than 50% in less than 40 years. If you want to kill off the human race, just keep it from reproducing. Here's the thing. The same exact rule applies to the church. If you want to kill off the church, just keep it from reproducing. Keep it from multiplying. Here's what I want you to see. When God gives us commands, remember the first command, be fruitful, multiply. Whenever God gives us commands, hear me say this. They're always for the benefit of his people. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't get it, even if we disagree, even if we resist, God's commands are always for the benefit of his people. If you want to kill something, you just keep it from reproducing. Okay, let's jump into my second point here, the spiritual implications of multiplication. Okay, so <clears throat> consider world history for a second. Like all of world history, like regardless of what you believe, you will not find a more effective leader than Jesus Christ. Like he's the best leader in the history of the world. Okay, his movement is 2,000 years old and it's still growing. Okay, like I, I, was, I watched this documentary recently on um, Steve Jobs and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like he's such a gifted leader. It's amazing. Talk to me when Apple's around in 2,000 years and it's still growing, okay? Steve Jobs got nothing on Jesus. Jesus' organization is still growing. His mission is still advancing. But what I want to propose to you is I want you to consider Jesus' strategy. Consider his strategy for just a moment, okay? More often than not, Jesus moved away from the crowds and chose instead to minister to a few moves away from the crowds, chooses to minister to a few. <clears throat> One of the things that I've recognized is that most leaders in our culture, okay, even in church, okay, even in the church, most leaders, they move away from the few and they seek the crowds. It's like, like the opposite. It's different. But think about what Jesus did. Jesus prioritized the few over the crowds. He didn't, he didn't, um, he still engaged with crowds, but more often than not, he withdrew with the few. He prioritized the few over the crowds. Um, you guys are familiar with the 12 disciples, right? Like he, Jesus, he, he gathers his 12 disciples and he, and he basically lives life with them for three years. Okay, so he had 12. He chose the 12 over the crowds. And you could even take it a step further. I mean, he had the three within the 12, Peter, James, and John. They were like his crew, man, super close to him. Jesus, his primary strategy wasn't the crowds, it was the 12. Um, recently, Ebony and I, we did our ancestry DNA. Have you guys done this, where you spit in the tube, and, they, and they're like, you mail it in? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, they mail you this little package. It's like this little tube thing. You spit in it. You put it back in the package. You mail it back. And they basically just run your DNA and tell you kind of where your biolog- what your biological origins are on the planet. Okay, so like where you're actually from. Me and Jason were talking about this last night about how like, like our great-great-grandparents have said that we're from this place, but actually when we run our DNA, it's like totally not true. We're over here. So either way, Ebony and I did this and... I wasn't super shocked by the results, but I was like, oh, okay, this brings some clarity. What, what I found out was my biological origins are basically from three kind of regions in the planet, okay? Um, my dad's side of the family is almost primarily from, um, like, parts of the UK and Scotland, okay? And then my mom's side is, like, Germanic Europe. So, like, those kind of three areas, that's pretty much where I'm from, and it got me thinking about this idea of how yeah, it's biological. What about spiritual? Listen, if you're a Christian, your spiritual origin is directly related to one of those original 12 disciples and or the Apostle Paul. So think about that for a second. Your spiritual origins can be directly traced back to one of tw- 13, one of 13 people. Okay, Jesus' mission to make disciples, we talked about this last week, his mission to proclaim the gospel, okay, it made its way to you 2,000 years later via 13 men. It's kind of cool. It's kind of crazy, 13, because Jesus' strategy was multiplication. It was, it was Kaylin, it wasn't, it wasn't Aaron. <laughs> it wasn't addition. It was multiplication. 
the strategy was to reproduce so much so that the mission would make its way to you and I 2,000 years later. Jesus is the best leader, man. Um, and the cool thing is, is that, that idea of multiplication, it didn't stop with Jesus. It carried on throughout, like, spiritual generations, okay? Let me read you 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 2. So 2 Timothy 2, 2. Okay, Paul writes this. He says in verse 2, listen to it. I'm going to read it slow. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay? Listen, in just this one verse, we see four generations of reproduction. Track with me. Okay, I'm going to break it down. I'll read it again. So what you have heard from me, that's two. You, me, entrust to faithful men, that's the third, who will will be able to teach others also. You, me, faithful men, others also. It's four generations just in this verse, okay? Jesus' strategy of multiplication, it carries on to Paul as well. And it continues with each generation after. That includes us, okay? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And Jesus' strategy was multiplication. It wasn't addition. Um, Let's do some review really quick, okay? We talked about this last week, this idea of the mission of God. Okay, Uh, the mission of the church, the mission of God through the church, out of the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 28 is go and make disciples. This should sound like review. Go and make disciples, okay? And we talked about how we define a disciple as someone who's learning because the word disciple means learner, like a pupil, an apprentice. It's a process. It's not on off. It's not like, it's not like black or white. You've arrived as a disciple. No, it's a process. You're learning. Okay? So we, we would define a disciple as someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of our lives. Nothing's off limits. Okay? So one of the most important indicators of a true disciple of Jesus is that a disciple of Jesus makes disciples of Jesus. Okay? So um, I would say, a more complete understanding of the mission of the church, the mission of God, the mission of the Christian, is to go and make disciple-making disciples. Are you tracking with me? This idea of reproduction. Okay, great. So, therefore, the mission, go and make disciple-making disciples, is incomplete without reproduction, without multiplication. Let me read you a quote from Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, he's He's a church leader up in the Pacific Northwest. He says this, quote, I think it should be up there, great. I think multiplication is at the very heart of who we are. Jesus says, make disciples and teach them to teach others as well. Healthy disciples make more disciples. Healthy leaders raise up more leaders. Healthy churches plant more, yeah, healthy churches plant more churches. And if you don't have multiplication at the end of what you do, you won't actually do what you're supposed to do. Most churches have settled with addition. And listen to this. And a lot of churches have just become orphanages. They know how to have babies, and they have a couple of dads and moms for all the babies, but not nearly enough to care for them well, and they don't send them off to start new families, so it's a perpetual orphanage that they've created. I think a church committed to multiplication will have great leaders, ultimately, because they will have to train them up, train them up to raise their own family someday. You don't have to be a superstar to plant that kind of church. You can be a normal person. And hopefully, it builds up around normal people who have a church, and you have a church made up of a bunch of normal people who have spectacular lives because of Jesus. His point is that without multiplication, the mission of the church isn't being accomplished. Think about that for a second. You ever walked in a circle for a really long time? You don't go anywhere. A lot of effort. You're tired. You want to lay down but we don't actually get anywhere. Um, Those of you guys that uh, know my family, you know Ebony and I, we have two daughters. Um, And I just, I just, I love my girls. I love them so much. Like, I think a deep, (laughs) a deep fatherly love, man. And here's the thing. Our responsibility, me and Ebony, our responsibility as their parents is to raise our girls into mature women. Like, that's the job description. That's the responsibility, okay? 
to raise them into mature women who someday will lead their own household, either as a single woman or as a wife, either way. But they'll, they'll, they'll grow into maturity, they'll leave our home, and they'll be able to lead their own household as a mature woman. Are you tracking with me? That's the responsibility. That's my role. So here's the thing. If they're still living at my house when they're 40, and they're still leaving their dirty panties all over the floor, and they're still, like, shouting from across the room to mommy and daddy in the bathroom, you know, come wipe my butt. Like, something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone absolutely wrong. There's a problem there, okay? Friends, the church is the family of God. The household of faith. So listen, if in 10 years, if, like if, you're, if you're 10 years into your discipleship to Jesus, if you're still refusing to forgive, if you're still refusing to serve, if you're still refusing to give or to talk to people even about the gospel, something's gone terribly wrong. There's a problem. If the members of this church aren't growing and maturing and then beginning to lead and influence others, there's a massive breakdown in our spiritual reproduction. Remember, the church, the, the mission of the church. And when I say church, again, this is not, this is the gathering. This is not the church. We are the church. The mission of the church is to go and make disciple-making disciples, okay? The mission is to see men and women, boys and girls. We talk about this every day or every gathering. We bring the kids up there. The, the mission is to see men and women, boys and girls, grow in spiritual maturity. And listen, that has to lead to reproduction. That has to lead to multiplication. Because if not, if you want to kill something off, just keep it from reproducing. Um, I read some stats this week. Did you know that in America, between, um, what is it, 100 and 200 churches die every week. Every week, between 100 and 200 churches die. I'm not talking about an event. And I'm convinced it's because the Western church has been content with crowds. Sometimes seeking crowds. We become content with this idea of addition. But we're called to multiply. We're called to reproduce, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. The mission is to go and make disciple-making disciples. Okay? So uh, you're going to bear with me for just probably like five more minutes. Uh, I want to have some fun right now. Okay? Uh, allow me to dream for just a bit. I want you to imagine for just a second. Okay? Imagine if one person, one on average, if they made one disciple-making disciple, one per year. You tracking with me? So one person makes a disciple-making disciple once a year for 20 years. Okay? One. Um, let's just for fun say it's you. All right? Uh, I have some slides. I think you should have them, Thad. The first one is called, it's one disciple multiplied for 20 years. Okay, can you guys see this? Is it too small? Um, hopefully you can see it. I want you to just look at this for a second, okay? We kind of did this with uh, Aaron and Kaylin. Year one, you have one. Not impressive. Year two, you have two. Okay, that's 24 months in. Two. Kind of discouraging, right? Three years in, you're 36 months into this. Four. Uh, so many guys start out wanting to plant churches, and if they're, if they're three years in and they got four they're crushed, okay, four. By year four, you're at eight. Year five, 16. Fast forward to year 10, 512, okay. And don't think like one church. Think disciples being made. 512, that should, that should be several churches represented there in different places, does that make sense? Year 10, 512. By year 14, 8,192. I know you can see this. Guys, at the end of 20 years, 524,288 people because one person made one disciple-making disciple a year for 20 years. That's the outcome. Okay, I'm not done having fun yet, okay? <clears throat> so, uh, on an average Sunday, 
on average Sunday gathering, there are 115 people who attend this worship gathering on an average Sunday, okay? And as of today, our church has 65 members, okay? When I say members, I'm not talking about Costco membership or gym membership. I mean people who have chosen to commit to following Jesus together as a family, okay? So just know, like, we would love to have anybody who would want to be part of this family join the family, okay? So it's not, it's not like an elitist club thing. It's not like, it's not that at all. If anything, it's the opposite of an elitist club. Like, we're people who need a savior. Like, we need saving. We're jacked up people, okay? We need the grace of God to cover us. Um, people who need a savior, people who are committed to each other, okay? But either way, 65 people, okay? Of those 65 people, 41 adults and 24 children. 41 and 24. So, for fun, let's just say, that the adults, forget the kids for a second. Let's just say that just the adults of our church, on average, all 41 of them, each of them makes one disciple-making disciple a year for 20 years. What would that look like? Go ahead and throw that. You're talking out there. Good. Okay. Year one, 41 people. Awesome. It's amazing. Year two, 82. Okay, you guys can all see this, right? Ten years in, you're like basically 21,000. Fifteen years in, 671,744 people. Think of how many churches that is. 20 more years. God willing, every single one of us in this room has 20 more years. And it's not like far-fetched to think that. 20 years, just our tiny, our tiny little church plant. Basically 21.5 million people. Like these numbers get me so excited. These numbers are cool and everything, right? But what I want you to do is I want you to think about what these numbers actually represent. Think about what they represent. They represent followers of Jesus. They represent disciples of Jesus. They represent people who are learning to enjoy him and obey him and operate like him in every area of life. Like, do you guys know what the word Christian means? Have you heard this? The word Christian, what it literally means is little Christ. So, imagine what the world would look like with 21.5 or more. Imagine what the world would look like with millions more little Christs running around. Like, think of the effect that that would have on the planet. Millions more people radically loving their neighbors. Millions more people even loving their enemies. Think about what that would do politically. Think about what that would do to the economy. Think about what that would do to every facet of life. Think about how that would affect the planet. This is not about building a brand. This is not about growing an organization. Guys, this is about real people with names and faces. It's about real people enjoying and obeying and operating like Jesus for the glory of God and for the good of the entire world. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it the lordship of Jesus over everything through God's people. Are you seeing this beautiful dream? That's the mission of God, to redeem and restore and bring order, his redemptive order to all things. Addition's not going to accomplish that. Okay, my, my, my final point here, point number three, what does this mean for us? Okay, if we're going to be a church that values multiplication, what does that mean for us, Okay. Uh, here's what it means practically. I'm going to try to go through this quick. This is not like an exhaustive piece, but this is going to help, hopefully help you see kind of how we work, okay? Uh, we're committed to multiplying in three key areas, okay? Disciples, leaders, and churches. Okay, we, we talked about the discipling piece, right? We already broke down multiplying disciples. But when I say that we're committed to multiplying leaders, here's what that means, Okay. First of all, it means identifying how God, God has called each of us to serve and influence others. Because it's unique. God, you're, you're, you're a unique created being. Okay? There's nobody like you in the entire world. Think about that. 
You feel down on yourself? You're the most unique, you're just as unique as anybody else in the world. You're one of a kind. It's a real thing, okay? So what does this mean for us? Identifying how God has called each of us uniquely to serve and influence others, okay? That's what kingdom leadership is. Kingdom leadership is not like I have this, 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 um, this role and this position, and it's not like, it's not authoritarian. It's an upside-down kingdom where the first is last and the last is first. It's a different thing, okay? So when we talk about this idea of like service and influence, that's what kingdom leadership is. Service and godly influence. If you're a leader, it means you're an influencer. There's people following your influence. And if you're a leader in the church, please, God, let it be influence that's godly. You're tracking with this idea. That when we talk about leadership in the church, it's not about a position. It's about godly influence, okay? It's about living for the benefit of others, laying your life down. It's like, a, it's like spiritual parenting, Okay? If you want to be even remotely successful as a parent, you literally have to lay your life down for your kid. <laughs> it's hard, but it's worth it. Okay? Um, so what does that mean for us practically? Some of you will preach your very first sermon on a Sunday gathering. This pulpit doesn't belong to me. This pulpit doesn't belong to, to Herrick. It belongs to Jesus. And part of the reason for this pulpit predominantly is to preach the gospel, and it's also to provide opportunity for people to grow in what? Preaching the gospel. If you're going to grow in preaching the gospel from the pulpit, you need a pulpit to actually be able to do it. You're tracking with my logic. Okay? So, practically, yeah, like some of you will preach your very first sermon during a Sunday gathering, okay? And it's not going to be the most polished sermon you've ever heard. But that's okay. It's actually something we celebrate, okay? Because we value multiplication over performance. Because here's the thing. If we, if we want to attract the crowd, you've got to find the best preacher you can to keep the crowd attracted, but if, you're, if, you're main, if your priority is not the crowd, if your priority is multiplication, not addition, then you can actually utilize these things in a different form and in a different fashion. You following with me? Okay. Actually, then, are, we, are you guys clear on this? Yeah? Okay. So whether it's preachers or worship leaders or gospel community leaders or prayer team leaders or whatever, we're committed as a church. We are committed to multiply any and every area of leadership in our church. All of it. <clears throat> that means we're, we're not only going to provide opportunities to grow in those areas, but we're going to celebrate the moments when each of us steps into those opportunities. Is everybody called to preach a sermon? No. But everyone's called to lead and serve, to provide influence, godly influence and service to not only the body of Christ, but to the city that they live in. <clears throat> uh, so Chad Kloss is going to preach in January. Gonna be great. Come, yes. Thank you. Yes, Jason Wilson's leading one of our gospel communities this next round. Like, there's exciting things happening, and these are things that genuinely our church celebrates. These are wins for us. Okay, <clears throat> exciting stuff. Now, it's not just disciples and leaders. Okay, we're also really committed to multiplying churches. Okay, not for the sake of just multiplying churches, but because churches are the best environment to see disciple making disciples made. Like it was Paul's strategy. To, to, to fulfill the mission of God to make disciple-making disciples, they planted churches, communities, families that are helping each other follow Jesus, okay? So we are committed to multiplying churches, okay? Um, those of you guys that don't know, we're part of a family of churches. We're, number, we're the fourth church plant in the restored family of churches, okay? As an extended church family, we are committed to this idea of reproducing not just disciples, not just leaders, but churches as well because they're the best environment to make disciples, to actually answer and, 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 and follow through with the, the, the mission of God, of accomplishing that mission, okay? Uh, you guys know that we just raised over $100,000 as a family of churches to send Kyle and Kaya to Northern Africa. It's amazing, okay? God willing, they'll see a church plant started there soon. They'll, they'll, they'll leave it next year, but you know what I mean by soon, okay? We're praying about the Burgas potentially planting sometime in the future. Like, this is a part of our heart. This is part of our desire, and it's not about building a brand. It's not about growing an organization. It's about real people learning to enjoy him and obey him and operate like him in every area of life so that the rule and the reign of Jesus can saturate everything. Because the rule and the reign of Jesus is the best thing for anybody. His redemptive order, things the way that they're supposed to be. The reason we're called restored church is this idea of restoring things to, the intend, to their intended uh, way. 
God's way, okay? Uh, I genuinely believe there are people in this room who will help plant churches. They'll be on teams maybe, maybe even eldership in a church plant. I really do believe this. Um, those slides that I showed you, those are really fun for me. I, I geek out on that kind of stuff. I geek out about, uh, yeah, thanks, Dad. I geek out, <laughs> thanks, bro. There's just something about that. It's like, I, God willing, I have probably 30 more years of like foot to the floor, like going as hard as I can ministry. God willing, 30 more years. And then I have to, I have to start tapering off and slowing down. I, I want that. I want it. Not for me, not for my glory, because I know that the, the outcome of that is God's kingdom coming and people experiencing reality, his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love. Like, and as cool as those, those different slides are, right? Like, consider how wild it would get if our family of churches actually planted church planting churches. And then, and then it's not just 41. It's like exponential growth of churches as well. Think about that. Think about how crazy things could get. Things start slow. 41 people in a junior high auditorium. What's the big deal? Your church plant's cute, guys. It's cute. Dude, think about this. Think about Jesus, his strategy, God in the flesh. He knows what he's doing, okay? <clears throat> it could start slow, but in our lifetime, we could see God do incredible, unbelievable things. What else does this mean for us? I'm almost done, okay? This significantly affects how we use our resources, okay? Um, you've probably heard me say this before, but when it comes to money, the vast majority of the church's budget will always go to freeing up people to pastor and plant churches because multiplication is something that we value, okay? We're almost certainly never gonna get a rock climbing wall for the kids, I'm sorry. Um, those are cool and they're fun and they're great, um, maybe someday, but always, our budget will always, almost all of it, is going to freeing up people to pastor and plant churches. We're unapologetic about that. Um, just know that about us, okay? Um, another thing, what else does this mean? It means that when it comes to discipleship, okay, this idea of spiritual formation following Jesus, when it comes to discipleship, we choose quality over quantity. Jesus did. We want to take our cues from King Jesus, okay? He prioritized the few over the crowds, right? He focused in on the health and the development of the few because in his infinite wisdom, he knew that it would be exponentially more beneficial in the long run, okay? Here's what this does not mean. This does not mean we turn people away who want to follow Jesus. No, we're not going to do that, okay? What it does mean is that we're much more concerned with our health as disciples than we are about how many people attend our gatherings, Make sense? Okay. And finally, uh, if we're going to value multiplication, it's imperative that we collaborate. Okay? That we collaborate. <clears throat> because to actually make healthy disciples, we need everybody's gifts. Okay, think about this. Think about, like, if the only thing repro being reproduced is, like, the gifts of a few, what you reproduce is going to be radically unhealthy. The, the beautiful part about the body of Christ is that there's, it's made up of different members, just like my body is. Okay, imagine me, imagine <laughs> me and Ebony reproducing something um, that's missing most of the parts of its body, even vital organs. The life of that reproductive being is going to be significantly like challenged. Okay, you. Here's what this means: you're vital to the mission, my friend. You are. If you have the spirit of God in you, you're vital to the mission. You're vital to contributing to what gets multiplied. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me. It's important, okay? If we're actually going to obey Jesus' command to make disciple, making disciples, we need all of us because we need diversity. It's not the same without you. Like, do you believe that? Or you just hear me say it? You're, you're really important. Your spiritual, quote unquote, your spiritual genes, if you're tracking with me, they need to be passed down. 
okay? They need to be passed down for the benefit of spiritual children. And not hierarchy, just spiritual generations. All right, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I really am almost done. Okay, so first command, right? First command God gives, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And then we have Jesus, him echoing that same thing, right? He echoes that command when he commissions the church to go and make disciple-making disciples. Ultimately, right? Multiplication, it's, it's spiritual reproduction. We talked about how when sin entered the world, right? <clears throat> what Adam and Eve spiritually reproduced now was death. But here's the exciting thing. Now, because of Jesus, God is actually in the process. He's in the process of spiritually reproducing life. That's the mission of the church to spiritually reproduce life. It's the mission of God. So, I don't care who you are. Like, if you are a Christian, you need to know God's called you to spiritually reproduce. You're valuable. He's called you to spiritually reproduce. But you only reproduce what you are. Like, dogs don't reproduce cats, right? Um... If I'm being totally honest, the thing that I want more, more than anything in the world, is for my daughters to love Jesus. That's, honestly, that's what I want more than anything. If when I die, if, if I know that they love Jesus, everything else to me, I'm like, whatever. It'll work itself out. I want more than anything for them to love Jesus. But guys, I can only reproduce what I am. So if I want to reproduce in my girls a deep love for Jesus, I have to have a deep love for Jesus myself. I can only reproduce what I am. So I'll end with this. I'll close with this. Here's my question to you. First of all, like, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? If not, I'd love to talk to you, tell you about the greatest news in the world, that Jesus came and lived the perfect life in your place, the life you never could live, the life that none of us could live, and then he died the death that you deserve in your place <clears throat> so that you could be, you could be um, restored in relationship to him so that his rule and reign could actually take place in your life. Change your desires to actually obey him, not to get something from him, not to use him, but to love him. <clears throat> this beautiful picture of redemption. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you are a disciple. If you are a disciple of Jesus, here's my question for you. Are you spiritually reproducing yet? You might be like, hey, I don't know if I'm qualified for this, man. Like there's areas I need to grow. Great. We all need to grow. That's awesome. Absolutely. Just the fact that you know that about yourself is wonderful and it's mature. Hear me say that? Maybe you need to grow. Great. But like, are you growing? Are you growing in the areas that you need to grow? Like, are you actually training? I was talking with somebody about this this week. Uh, this idea of like, if you want to get your muscles stronger, you go to the gym. You, you train them. You put your muscles in, under a certain amount of stress so that they'll grow. You train them to handle greater stress and they get bigger. But like for you, are you training? Are you spiritually training? Are you identifying the areas that you know God's calling you to grow in and then training in them? Guys, this church, the church, it exists to help all of us grow, myself included. It exists to help all of us grow and to see God's kingdom come through the multiplying of disciples of Jesus. That's how it's coming, man. Will you stand if you're able? I'm gonna pray for us. I'm just going to like listen for a bit and see what the Spirit wants to do. And then I'm going to pray, okay?
I feel, I really do feel like the spirit, um, um, I feel like some of us in the room are are like doubting, like, like I'm not qualified, capable. I don't have a desire even to do that. Sounds sexy and cool, Tom, but like, there's like doubt in your heart. Um, I feel like God wants to lovingly rebuke you um, and to just tell you you're not doubting yourself, you're doubting him. Um, He can, (laughs) he can transform anyone. Uh, We talked about this before, but like the apostle Paul, um, basically a terrorist directly like towards Christians, God transformed him and he became the greatest missionary in the history of the world. Um, So I think that there's people who are uh, just having that doubt or or even apathy too. I feel like there's people with apathy. Um, And God wants, he said, like, I feel like he's saying that that, that he wants to kind of do something in your heart this morning um, so that you you won't be so insulated on yourself. He wants to free you from that. He wants to free you from apathy. So I'm going to pray over us, all of us, but I'm also going to, I'm just going to specifically hone in on the, um, on the doubt piece and the apathy piece, okay? So Father, I, I thank you for the ways that you love us and challenge us and the ways that you actually want to bless us by, uh, <laughs> by bringing us to work with you, um, by including us in what you're doing for your glory and for our good and for the good and the blessing of the entire planet. Like what else would we give ourselves to? what else is going to have eternal lasting value? Um, so I pray, Father, um, for perspective for all of us this morning. I pray again that you'd inspire us, that it wouldn't just be about numbers, it would be about people. Jesus, you came for people, you didn't come for numbers. Um, yes, we want to be intentional about like um, uh, uh, knowing what you're doing and being aware of it, but more than anything, we want transformation. And without you, transformation is never going to happen, Holy Spirit. So I ask you, um, for those that are doubting, I pray that you would reveal to, you, to them this morning, myself included, would you reveal to us how powerful you are? That nothing's impossible for you. No person's too far gone to be reached or to be used. And I pray for those that are, um, that are just feeling apathetic. Um, I pray that um, the reality of the cross would just like flood their brain today. The reality of the brutality that Jesus experienced and that no one took his life from me willingly experienced that. He willingly endured the cross because of his great love for them and for the world through them. So would you bless us, God, inspire us, and would you make our church a church that actually values multiplication on every level for your glory and for our good. We love you, Jesus.